The Christmas truce of 1914 has been pointed to as a symbol of hope in one of the most gruesome wars the world has ever known. Today, on Footnoting History, we'll discuss that brief interlude in World War I. Hello, this is Samantha, and welcome back to Footnoting History. Today, in the last of our series of Christmas podcasts, I'll be discussing the Christmas truce. Picture this. The year is 1914. You are a 20-year-old man, and five months ago you enlisted in the British Army. At the time, you thought you'd go off to war, win a quick victory, and come home a hero. But now you find yourself in a smelly trench, the snow is falling, and you shiver as you try to sleep vertically in order to avoid drowning in mud and excrement. A rat runs over your foot, and from the other side of no man's land you hear a sneeze. The next morning you get a delivery, a box with the princess's face on it, filled with cigarettes, and some Cadbury chocolates. It's Christmas time, and despite these reminders of the home front, you might feel more kinship with the men you can hear setting up their Christmas trees on the German side of the line than you do with your family who you imagine snuggled up by the fire at home. Given the situation, it's hardly surprising that along significant stretches of the Western Front, spontaneous truces broke out in that first year of war. Fundamentally, that is the most important characteristic of the Christmas truce. It was led by soldiers who had not yet allowed the bellicose slogans thrown at them to inspire them to hate their enemies. Just over 99 years ago, the United States Senate and Pope Benedict XV appealed to the British, French, and German to issue a ceasefire in honor of Christmas, but they were rejected. The governments embroiled in the great conflict needed peace to appear impossible in order to keep their troops motivated, and even issued orders specifically forbidding fraternization with the enemy, lest it discourage initiative in commanders and destroy offensive spirit in all ranks. Nevertheless, in all wars, there are occasional gaps in hostilities, which allow the soldiers to compose themselves and even to collect and bury their dead. These pauses would persist throughout World War I, but none were as widespread as the one that began in December of 1914. Hostilities had already begun to decline in the beginning of December. The weather was extremely cold, and the trenches, which had been hastily constructed, were significantly less comfortable than they would become later in the war. They were deadly places to live, even without the crossfire. The truce started in small ways, often with both sides taking a break from active combat during a meal, or with men shouting across the trench to give warning when a volley was about to commence. Most of these exchanges were in English, because before the war it had not been uncommon for Germans to live and work in England. So although we don't tend to focus on friendships on different sides of the conflict in, in the context of World War I, such friendships almost certainly existed. Although not all of the interchanges were intended to be helpful, one rifleman later commented, the remarks across the trench generally had less venom than a couple of London cabbies after a mild collision. As Christmas approached, the soldiers received reminders from home in the form of gifts from their governments. Both sides distributed extra cigarettes and fancy boxes. In addition, the German government sent their soldiers Christmas trees. Many companies also sent gifts to the men on the front. The Daily Mail, for example, sent plum puddings to the British soldiers, and Cadbury, of course, sent chocolate. 
It was perhaps these civilizing influences that caused hostilities to decrease along the entire line in the week before Christmas, and somewhere in Belgium a temporary truce that would become known as the Christmas Truce became widespread, though it never actually extended along the entire front. This truce functioned differently in long different sections of the line. In some places it was a simple agreement effectively saying, if you don't fight, we won't fight. In others, it began as an opportunity to go into no man's land to gather the dead. Men from both sides collected fallen comrades and enemies alike, and gave them the burials they deserved. In other places, the truths went much further. Soldiers exchanged stories and gifts. In one place, the Germans performed a concert for the British, and in several others, the erstwhile combatants played rousing games of soccer. Along most of the front, hostilities resumed the next day. One Welsh officer told how the truce ended in his section. At 8.30 in the evening, he fired three shots into the air, then raised a flag which read, Merry Christmas. The Germans replied with a sign reading back, Thank you. The leaders on both sides saluted each other, and then the German commander fired two shots into the air, and the war was on again. In certain areas, however, the ceasefire continued all the way into the new year, but it was not bound to last. In the end, the British and German high commands got their way, and fighting resumed over the entire front. By the next year, when Christmas rolled around again, the feelings of the common soldiers had changed. After more than a year of bloodshed, their animosity outweighed their curiosity, and the truce was not repeated a second time. Although the Christmas truce was short-lived, it should be remembered as a moment of hope. It proves that even in the midst of combat, or perhaps especially amid the particularly deplorable conditions on the front, human compassion, curiosity, and decency can continue to thrive. We should look around us for these moments when combatants, not their commanders, surrender their, to their humanity and cultivate these feelings rather than allowing political considerations to fuel continued conflict. This has been Footnoting History. If you like the podcast, be sure to visit our website, footnotinghistory.com, where you can find links to further reading suggestions related to this week's episode, as well as a calendar of upcoming podcasts. You can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at History Footnote. Until next time, remember, the best stories are always in the footnotes. See you next week.